Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, to be with you, to hear from you, to be blessed by you, to see your perspective of life and how you deal with difficult situations. Loving Father, pour down your Holy Spirit on us so that we live as your disciples, live as people relying on you and live as people reflecting you in this world, a world that's often difficult and a world that often produces anger. May we respond to anger in a godly, pleasing way. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. This week, unfortunately, I can't be with you in person because I'm attending um, the Burham Buttock Parish's anniversary of their congregation on behalf of the district. And so I bring you today's sermon through the efforts of Ian and myself as we, I preach to you this, this final chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, which is really about Jonah dealing with difficult stuff, dealing with difficult problems, dealing with things that he doesn't like and even dealing with anger. And I'm pretty sure most of us can relate to this, that most of us at times in our life have had difficult things happen to us, have felt resentment and also felt anger. However, today I pray that as we explore how Jonah deals with this and more importantly how God deals with Jonah and the situation, that we learn, that we learn from God and we learn what it means to be his disciples and also we reflect on what anger, how anger affects us and others around us. I want to begin today's sermon by going to the concluding verses of Jonah, chapter 4, which is the concluding verses of Jonah. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. This verse is important for us. These two verses are important for us as we think about life, as we think about the difficult things we face, but we also think about how God responds to difficult things and difficult people. As I begin the sermon, I invite you to reflect on a couple of, couple of questions. First of all, where is your, where is your focus as you live? Is that on your agenda or God's agenda? I'd encourage you to think about that because where our focus is often leads us to making decisions, to responding to even difficult situations in particular ways. This is a question that I reflect on every day. Is where's my focus at the moment? Is it on God's agenda or is it on my own agenda? What I want, what I think should be happening. And the second question is, assume something, and that is that we all get angry at times. But I encourage you to think about this, is when angry, how can you respond in a life-giving way for yourself and others, and not in a life-destroying way? When you are angry, how can you respond, in other words, in a good way, a way that brings life to yourself and others, and not in the way that cuts you off or destroys life for yourself or others? In Jonah chapter 4, we're getting near the end of the story, we see that Jonah is not happy. In fact, he is very angry. This is what verses 1 and 2 say. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. 
And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tartashish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah's not happy. And why? Why isn't Jonah happy? Shouldn't he be happy? You think of all that's happened in chapters 1, 2 and 3, you would think Jonah should be happy. Jonah was given another opportunity by God. Remember, he ran away from what God was calling him to do. And he ended up in the belly of the fish. He prayed to God and trusted God. And that trust to God produced fruit because God gave him another chance. And Jonah eventually, without other chances, did exactly what God wanted him to do. He went to the Ninevites, these corrupt, evil, difficult people, and he preached a very short sermon. And God used that sermon to turn the Ninevites to him, to see them to repent of their evil ways and to trust and rely on him. So you would think Jonah would be happy, wouldn't you? You'd think Jonah would be going... God, you have done exactly what you said. You are compassionate to me and you have brought all these people to you through my preaching. But he's not. So what is Jonah's problem? Why is Jonah up so upset with God? Well, the first issue is this. From Jonah's perspective, people are not paying the price for their sins. God is treating people a lot better than they deserve. Listen again to the last few words of Jonah chapter 4, 1 to 2. That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This message is the way God operates in the world. God treats us better than we deserve, as Romans chapter 3 reminds us. God treats us not based on our sins, but based on his compassion, his love, his forgiveness. And that's exactly what God has done. But Jonah's not happy because he thinks these people, these Ninevites, should have been punished. They should have been destroyed. But because they have trusted in God... God has shown them compassionate love. And isn't that our challenge at times? Isn't that our challenge that we're so happy to receive God's grace, forgiveness and mercy for ourselves, but we're resentful when somebody else receives it? We're resentful when God shows forgiveness to somebody else when they haven't at least paid for their sins. Let us remember that this is God's focus. This is God's mission. As we recall from John chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It's an important message for each of us to hear throughout our lives that, we, that God wants to save us and show compassion on us. And it's an important message for us to remember when we're dealing with other sinful people, that the ultimate goal that God 
wants to remind them. The ultimate message that God wants them to receive is not one of condemnation or punishment, but one of grace, mercy and compassion. And the second issue that Jonah has is God has given him some comfort. He's given him some comfort near the end of this while he's grumpy and moaning. He's, he's, there's a tree that's been planted, but then he took it away. Listen to what happened in verses 6 to 9. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his comfort. And Jonah was very, very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the wind the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Isn't that also true of us with God and our relationship with God at times? Isn't it also true that at times we can be very happy and thankful for the blessings in our life? But when they disappear when they're no longer there, when we're no longer in a place of comfort, we actually become a little bit resentful to God. Isn't it true of us that at times we would rather just be filled with God's blessing and comfort? But at times, we're not always comforted. God always doesn't give us what we need. Now, the truth is, I don't know the answer why he doesn't always comfort us. Because we know he's a God of love, mercy and compassion. But I do know this, that we are called to be God's disciples in good, ordinary and difficult times. You know, the New Testament often encourages us to to be thankful in all circumstances. Giving thanks to God in all circumstances. And what I've noticed is people who are thankful to God in all circumstances, people who are focused on trusting God in all circumstances, are people who are more content, people who are not like Jonah who get angry about little things or big things, but people have a life of putting life into perspective. Recently, I met with a couple for some pre-marriage counselling and one of the couple said, oh, the, the good thing about my partner is they always put things into perspective. Something can go wrong and they just remind me that there's a bigger picture of things going on. And what happens is only a small thing. It's not something to be angry about or to put so much energy into being angry. You see, Jonah's anger was the result of him looking at life from his perspective alone. It was a result of him just focusing on himself. His anger came from within himself. And there's two points to this we see. When it comes to others sinning, Jonah had his agenda. He wanted to see them punished and pay the price for their sins. But God also has his. God is looking to show repentance, compassion, love and forgiveness. And that's important for us. You know, sometimes we even think for ourselves that we need to pay the price for our sins so much that we forget about that God is truly a God of grace, mercy, love and compassion. We have this great symbol of the cross, of Jesus on the cross 
and the empty cross that Jesus died and rose for us to remind us that is where God's compassion is, that God is prepared to pay the price for our sins. We have this message littered throughout the New Testament that our sins are paid for by God because he has compassion and love for us. And if our sins are paid for, so are the other sins of others. The other place where Jonah's anger came from was Jonah's was concerned only about the plant because it gave him some comfort. When the plant was no longer useful, he wasn't too concerned. And we can be the same with people and things. He was upset that he had lost his benefit of the plant. But God was doing something with that plant. He was reminding Jonah, teaching Jonah, that Jonah was putting his trust in the plant and not in God. And don't we often do that as well? Don't we often live lives of putting our trust in things, things that God has given us other than God? And don't we kind of live with our own agenda often and not God's agenda? You see, the problem with most human anger, the problem with anger that Jonah had, is it comes from a self-centred approach to life. It comes from the statements like, I'm not getting what I want. Or, I or others have been hurt and the other person must be punished. You know, it's a very worldly approach to sin, isn't it? We see this littered throughout the news that when somebody has been hurt, there's this call, and it's often under the guise of justice, but we must punish them and there should be no forgiveness. And it comes from also this perspective. Someone else is being blessed who doesn't deserve it. And think about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 20. You know, the son, the ratbag son has come home. The father has embraced him. And this is a story Jesus tells to, to remind us of God's grace and love. But the other son is resentful. He's unhappy because this son of him, this radical ratbag son has been blessed, has been shown love. And that's the problem with most human anger. It comes from a place of selfishness. Often our anger reveals how selfish we are, that life is about us and the way we want life to be. But it also reveals our need for our saviour, Jesus. The one who doesn't look at us and say, you're a sinner, you're not, worth, you're not worthy to be in heaven. But rather, Jesus looks at us and says, I've died for you. I've died for you. You are worth being in heaven. God loves you so much that I was prepared to die for you and rise for you. And so when we think of anger, when we consider anger, let us remember that. Let us remember that yes, we can feel bad about anger. I can tell you the number of times I've been angry and I felt bad about it afterwards. But I keep coming back to this fact that's revealed in Scripture that God continues to show me love despite my anger. And so what is the New Testament? What, are, what can we learn from the New Testament about our anger? Well, the first thing we see, or often we see, is that the New Testament discourages us 
in letting anger be our main approach to life. Anger being how we respond to things. You see, the problem with anger is often leads to more problems and us singing. Even when we think we have righteous anger, and I'll come to that in a moment, if we're not aware of how anger affects us, we can actually go and have righteous anger, be upset for somebody who has been hurt, but we can respond in such an ungodly, unloving and uncaring way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 27, assumes that we all get angry. And it's true, we all get angry, but it encourages us not to sin with our anger. Encourages us to take a step back and think, how can I respond to this feeling of anger in a good way? Some years ago, I, had a, um, I was pastor at a congregation with a school and we had a youth group. And occasionally there was a couple of boys who would get themselves, find themselves into trouble constantly. You know the type of boys. Well, one of those boys, we had a discussion with one day and I says, yes, I hear you're angry. And there's a whole heap of reasons why he was angry. But think about how you can respond to this in a good way. But the New Testament even goes deeper than this, not just to don't let our anger sin. It says get rid of anger. Get rid of all types of anger. It even says don't go to bed angry, but try to deal with the situation. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians 3 and 1 Timothy 2. So I'd encourage you, if you've got anger about something at the moment, pray to God to help you to get rid of it. Pray to God that the sense of anger in that issue is less. And James chapter 1 actually reminds us that human anger, anger that comes from our selfishness, does not produce godly righteousness. Anger that comes from us saying we're going to be good and you're bad and therefore you must be punished doesn't produce godly righteousness. And so we have this encouragement in the New Testament to basically try to avoid anger, to, to not being people who allow anger to be the main part of our life. Now, here's part of the problem, is that we're all going to get angry from time to time. But it's what we do with that anger. Do we allow that to sit in our lives and be angry for years and years and years? Or do we do something else with it? Remember Jonah's story. Jonah's anger led him to wanting to be cut off from God and others. Jonah's anger led him to be wanting to be cut off from God and others. Remember what he said at the end, I wish I was dead. Instead of being in a relationship with God and others. Jonah had isolated himself away from the Ninevites who had all now following God. He was grumpy with God because they've all turned. And he'd isolated himself and he even said it explicitly that he wanted to be cut off from God and others. He wanted to die. And that is often the issue with anger, that that it wants to destroy relationships. Anger, when we don't respond to anger in a good way, it often ends up doing two things, leading us away from God and leading us away from good relationships with others. But you might be saying, hold on a moment, wasn't 
Doesn't the Bible talk about God's anger? Isn't, wasn't Jesus angry at times? Isn't there holy anger and anger that's okay? Well, these are the two things that are often quoted about Jesus. Jesus was angry. He was angry at the Pharisees who were law-obsessed, who were law-focused in the way they related to people and not grace-focused about the Sabbath. Think about that for a moment. Jesus' anger was because people were not being graceful. I don't know about you, but when I deal with people who are obsessed by rules and the law and they kind of, they're trying, it's almost like they're trying to control people, but I get, there's always an obsession about trying to be in control over somebody else and not showing grace. And often they have anger towards others. And we see this in life. People going, you're not abiding by the rules. You're not doing this right. The other time Jesus was angry, and this is the one that is often thrown up, is when he went into the house and they were doing money exchanging in the house. In the, in, when I say the house, God's church, God's temple. And they're doing money changing and he comes in when it's supposed to be a time of prayer. Well, Jesus flipped over the tables. He did this because they were using his house inappropriately and neglecting, more importantly, neglecting their relationship with God. Not seeing that a relationship with God was important, but rather there was this stuff going on. This, there was other things clouding people praying and spending time with God. Now, these are the two occasions that are often quoted. And some Christians will use these two to justify being angry at others constantly. But as I look through the New Testament, as I go through the scriptures, this is not an accurate reflection of how Jesus deals with anger. Now, one of the other stories that pops up, which is not often quoted, is that when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is betrayed and being led away, Peter is very angry, pulls out a sword and cuts somebody's ear off. And what does Jesus do? Tells Peter to put the sword away and he heals that person's ear. You see, most of the New Testament is more about God being gracious, compassionate and loving than showing this anger. And sometimes people say, well, the God in the Old Testament's quite angry. Well, here's some of the facts with the gods in the Old Testament's anger. Most of his anger is a result of people deliberately persisting in sinning. You know, there's occasions within um, Exodus where the people who God has released from freedom are grumbling and complaining and moaning about life and how bad this God is who's released them from freedom because he hasn't given them a nice, comfortable life. And then we have other occasions where God is angry because people are li living deliberately in ways that are not how God calls them to live, such as in Ezra chapter 8, verse 22. And we hear that God is angry. And so some people think God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. Well, that's only reading part of the story in the Old Testament. That's only reading part of the scriptures. It's actually like reading a book and not finishing the book. Because we also see God is angry when people are oppressing others. Like Jesus was angry with the Pharisees. This anger comes up. And he's angry because 
people are oppressing. But the thing we need to remember is this. Is God doesn't stop at his anger. That's not what defines him. That's not who he is. He constantly shows compassion. We see that God turns from punishment to compassion on a number of times within the Old Testament. Now we see it in this occasion in Jonah 3, you know, where he's made this promise that um, the Ninevites are going to be overturned in 40 days through Jonah. And because they relent, because they, because they focus back on God, because they let go of their evil ways, he shows compassion and mercy on them. And that is a major theme throughout the New Testament. If you do a search, what you'll find is this phrase pops up throughout the Old Testament as well. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love and mercy. You see, anger's not what, how to, what defines God. Anger's not God's approach to us. His ultimate approach to you and to me and to the world is compassion Mercy, love and forgiveness. And so I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think just for a few moments. What does this mean for us as we live in this world? If God's ultimate approach is love, mercy and forgiveness, and he demonstrates that through Jesus, and this is the mission of Jesus, what does that mean for the people that anger you? How might God might be calling you to respond to them? Yes, there are things that people do that make me angry. Some of those are small. And I know I need to check myself on these. But as I engage with the New Testament and the Old Testament, I'm reminded to think about how can I respond in a way to help people get to know God, his love, mercy and compassion? See, Jonah had actually lost the focus at one point. You know, he was called to preach, but he was more concerned that these people would be punished than would actually receive compassion, mercy and forgiveness. So what do we do? What do we do with situations that lead us to anger? Our last few verses give us an insight. Reading from verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people? You could not tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. God takes a very different approach to the world. Most people in the secular world are looking to punish, are looking to isolate people who sin against them, are looking to remove people from their lives. And sometimes people think they feel good about that. But not God. God has this different approach. God's approach is to show concern for all people. God's approach is to show concern for all common people. Now, when we hear the New Testament... We need to keep being reminded that Jesus came into the world not just for me, not just for this little group here, not just for anyone who calls themselves Christian at the moment and are worshipping in a church. Yes, he came for you, but he also came for all others. 
The message of Christianity is for every person you need, you know. The message of God's compassion, love and forgiveness is for everyone we know. And I believe that's our challenge at the moment, is to reveal that to the world. You know, in the last week, we've seen some people in the media have this perspective of Christianity that is not that. It's something else. And made judgments on people without even going deeper into what's going on. But the truth is, we are God's missionaries in the world to present God as this loving, graceful, forgiving, compassionate God. And we do that not by putting one people, group of people down and lifting up another. We do that by bringing both people towards God and helping them to see how much God loves them. And this is also the message of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 says this. This is a way of showing godly concern, I believe. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's my time to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll, keep, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Most of our anger arises because we see something that's not good. And it could be something small, or it could be something major. But if we live with anger of those people who are part of that cause of that anger, we're actually not living in the way God calls us to live. We're not helping people know a different way of life. We're not helping people see that God loves them despite their flaws. And so what does this mean for us living the faith? Well, the starting point for us in living the faith is, faith is let's keep focused on God's agenda of forgiveness and compassion and that our aim is to be with all people, to be people who are a community of faith, who link together, who all rely on God's forgiveness, love and compassion. That's why the cross is so important in our lives. That's why the message of Jesus coming to this world to save all people is so important. May that be your agenda as you live. May that be your agenda in your workplace as you relate to people. May that be your agenda in your families. May that be your agenda in the difficult circumstances you face. And secondly, when you do get angry, and I guaranteed that most people will get angry, and psychologists say is don't suppress your anger, as in don't just bottle it up and don't deal with it. Doesn't mean go out and yell and scream and punch walls, but check your anger. Check, first of all, what is the source of your anger? Where is it coming from? And secondly, where is it leading you to? If it's leading you to isolation, it's a sign that you need help. The times I've been angry with people and it's led to me being isolated from people, it's been a definite sign I need help from God and I need help from others. And so when angry, rely on God's love and forgiveness for yourself. I don't know if you picked this up, that 
despite Jonah being angry, God never left him. He just hung around with him and, and kept persisting with him. And likewise, when we sin, God doesn't leave us. He keeps wanting to offer us grace, love, mercy and forgiveness. But also rely on God's help, the Holy Spirit's help to show God's compassion and love to others. A friend of mine who I would put up on a pedestal as being able to respond to anger in a very good way, I one time asked him, how do you do it? How do you not let these situations get under your skin so much so that you want to belt somebody or you want to strangle them or you, or you want to push them away or out of your life? And his response was through prayer, through asking for God's help, for taking the God's guidance to seek help professionally with others at times, but to be a person who just realises that their main aim in life is to reveal God's compassion, love and mercy to others. The love we've received from Jesus. And so remember, when you are struggling with God and people, God hasn't given up on you and God hasn't given up on them. See, the great news, the good news about Jonah is that God persisted with people who were sinners. Jonah himself, who ran away. The ship owners who were, the sailors who were on the ship with Jonah who were worshipping other gods, and the Ninevites. And then Jonah at the end of this story where Jonah is more focused on himself and angry with God because things haven't turned out how he thought they should have turned out. The good news is God didn't desert him. God hung around. God constantly showed love, mercy, compassion and forgiveness. And he does that for me and he does that for you. And so as we live our lives, live our lives in a a difficult and sinful world because sin is often what brings up anger, but also our anger can also lead to sinning. Remember that. Can I encourage you to keep trusting God? To keep having God's agenda as you deal with difficult people and difficult situations? Can I encourage you to keep relying on God? Because the ultimate message of God is is he's a God of love, compassion, mercy and forgiveness. And when you think he's angry with you or think he's angry with somebody else, don't let the story go there. Turn to the next page where you actually see actually share that we have a God who loves all people, who has mercy on all people. Not because they're perfect, not because they've got their life in order, but because he loves them. May you go with that love and may you go with that peace. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful message that you are a God of love, mercy, compassion, Lord, as we live in this world, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us. As we deal with situations that result in us being angry, help us, help us to respond to these situations in a way that reveals your grace, your mercy, your compassion. Help us to be people who hold on to your agenda as our agenda. And loving Father, we thank you that you are a God 
who forgives, a God who loves all people, especially us, but also especially everyone else we know. Lord, may what we've spoken about, what we've listened to today, help us in our lives, help us in our relationship with you and help us in our relationship with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.